0: On today's episode, we are interviewing Dr. Ben Lynch. We've been talking about this podcast. We're so excited about it as we dive into the world of genetics. He is the best-selling author of Dirty Genes and the president of Seeking Health, a company that helps educate both the public and health professionals on how to overcome genetic dysfunction. This podcast was so fun. I think by far to date, no offense to anybody else, this is my absolute favorite episode in terms of an interview that we've done. So, If you find this information valuable, please reach out and connect with Dr. Ben Lynch on Instagram. I've put all of the links in the show notes and please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share the show.
1: Live your life within the moment, moment
0: And don't go wait until the morning, morning You never know
2: when it is over, oh
0: Welcome back to the Food Code. As many of you know, we've been very excited for this interview for quite some time. We have Dr. Ben Lynch joining us. He is the best-selling author of Dirty Genes. And today we're going to talk all about genetics. We're going to talk about how our genetics impacts our ability to function properly, detoxify properly, how they influence our cravings, our mood, our neurotransmitters, PMS, weight, and so many other things in the body. So welcome, Dr. Lynch. Thank you so much for being here. If you would introduce yourself to our listeners and give us a little background about you for those who maybe haven't read the Dirty Jeans book just yet.
2: Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for the invitation to be on your show. Uh, yeah, so I, I think it just goes back to childhood. If, if, you, if you go back to looking at all those early years with you, and when you compare yourself to others, what is it about you that was different than others for me i had just nosebleeds all the time i'd be playing basketball i don't even get bumped get a nosebleed i'd be playing tennis mid-match get a nosebleed um there was moments where uh i would just feel like i was almost everything was moving really really fast around me but i'm still there i can't even explain it it was just bizarre um, and other times where, um, oftentimes I would perform very, very well on my homework and do exceptionally well, you know, straight A's and all that stuff. I go to take a test, bomb it. And, uh, I just over, overthink it, overstress it. And so if you, if you think about, you know, what is different about me compared to others, oftentimes that can be genetically, uh, influenced. And I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm using that as an awareness to saying, okay, I'm not weird, I'm different. Now, since I'm different in these ways, what is it about me that's causing me to have nosebleeds mid-tennis match and having to walk off, because that sucks? And uh, what is it about me having doing really well on homework, but freaking out during tests? And now that I've looked at genetics on myself, and my kids, and family members, and so many other people, I can say with confidence that a lot of the things that make you uniquely different, or frustrated uh, with your health, or your moods, or your reactions, or what have you, is the things that you mentioned, there's a usually a massive genetic component to it. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be a genetic variation. Also, it, it can be just that there's something in your your environment or your lifestyle that you are doing or not doing that is triggering your genes to either perform too hard or not perform well at all. And it all depends. And it can change from moment to moment.
1: I mean, in our clinical experience, just looking at them most recently, I, I tell people it explains who you are. Like it, it takes sometimes, maybe there's still some frustration, but it takes the frustration out of it of being like, this is why I am the way I am. And this mm-hmm. is how I can better support it moving forward. And and we see it most helpful for a lot of cases that maybe aren't responding how they should to certain protocol, you know, like how you would expect someone to respond to maybe a, a gut protocol or helping to balance blood sugar or help with fat burning. And then you look and All of your autophagy genes are blocked or, you know, you have multiple detoxification blockages. And so not just one, which I think, you know, we'll dive into with the types of genes there are, but how they interplay with each other and how, you know, some genes, yes, are very powerful when they are blocked uh, and can create a lot of other downstream effects. But that's not just one gene. You know, it's not just the MTHFR gene. It's not just the T gene. It's not, you know, it's, they don't work in silo. Uh, the body is so complex and it's just been very amazing to be able to see and explain to someone why they're dealing with what they're dealing with. And in turn, how they can better support their body, because here it is. The cool thing about genetics testing is it's not going to change, you know, with gut Dutch testing and GI map and all that stuff that changes all the time genetic testing gives you, this is like your blueprint. (laughs) This is kind of who you are and who you will be. And yes, you can support it with lifestyle and so forth. But it, for us personally in our, in our practice, it's been really helpful for a lot of people to, to kind of take a deep breath and be like, okay, it, you know, it's not just you, (laughs) it's your body and how it's working or maybe not working in certain ways and then how you can support it. So I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. I think it'll be really cool for a lot of our, our listeners and our clients. Um, in your book, Dirty Genes, you talk about seven key genes. Uh, and before we kind of get into depth of this, for anyone that's totally new to genetics, can you talk about what a gene is and then what a dirty gene is?
2: Yeah, for sure. That's a, that's a great starting point. My grandfather always said, don't, don't move forward on anything unless you understand what the words actually mean because you can say gene a hundred thousand times but if people don't know what a gene is then they just kind of recoil and and not listen so a gene to put it uh in a in a manner that is applicable is a gene has a job to do so you have about eighteen thousand genes in your body and they have different roles you have genes that make dopamine you have genes that that. uh you know, to help you transport the dopamine. You have genes which help degrade your dopamine. You have genes which, you know, essentially help you wake up in the morning and fall asleep at night. You have genes which respond to uh, chemicals or threats or infections. Um, so basically, just they have jobs. So if a gene has a particular job, then it has to perform in order to get that job done. And if it can't perform, then you get symptoms. And so essentially a gene that is not performing at its best is what I call a dirty gene. And I don't call it a deadly gene, which is what my actual publisher wanted me to call the book, Seven Deadly Genes. And I was like, no, I actually don't work with deadly genes because a deadly gene actually will kill you uh, usually before you're even born or soon after you're born. And that is not a very, uh, you know, uh, it's not a good book to pick up and, and feel empowered um, uh, so if you think about if a gene has a certain job to do and you are struggling with nosebleeds, then, then you, you th- kind of step back and say, okay, what is it about nosebleeds? Why does that happen? Oh, you can have fragile membranes around your veins and your nose. Okay. That's one. It could also be high histamine. High histamine causes permeability in your blood vessels. It's like, oh, okay. so. You know, then as a health professional or just yourself, you can say, do I have genes related to a reduced ability to break down histamine? Because most of actual histamine intolerance is associated with genes whose jobs are to break down histamine. And so lo and behold, I have a plethora of genes which reduce my body's ability to get rid of histamine. So essentially, a gene is, is it's just a thing that helps you do jobs in your body. And a dirty gene is a, is a gene that's not able to do its job.
1: And can you talk a little bit on heterozygous and homozygous kind of concepts?
2: Yeah. So you inherit uh, genes from your mom and you inherit genes from your dad and you inherit all your mitochondrial genes from your mom, which is actually very interesting. So you get your mitochondrial DNA from your mother only, not any from your father so if you think oh i'm super fast uh and i have i'm a great endurance runner it's like well you you should probably turn around and say thank you mom for for those uh attributes um so a heterozygous uh genetic uh variation means that you inherited a particular uh copy of a a gene from one of your parents not both just one And a homozygous is having two copies of a genetic variation that you inherited, one from your mom and one from your dad. And uh, so, and you should also know that being heterozygous or homozygous, inheriting one copy or two copies, isn't always a bad thing. And it isn't always a good thing that you didn't inherit the genetic variation. Keep in mind that a genetic variation, the ones that are, that are, in us today are the ones that make us uniquely different. And they've also been probably selected for, for some reason. It, for, because if you look at our ancestors in the past, what is it about our current genes today that allowed our ancestors to thrive? We would not be here today if our ancestors had horribly dirty genes, they would die off, survival of the fittest. Is, it's a thing, it's, it's legitimate so if i inherited one copy of a genetic variation just from my mom a heterozygous one and it maybe made me more alert in uh you know and for for our ancient ancestors maybe that alertness i talked about this in the book dirty genes actually that increased alertness allowed us to stay awake in a cave Maybe we were the watchers of the cave to make sure a saber toothed tiger didn't come in the middle of the night and, you know, eat our stuff or eat us. But nowadays, that same particular genetic variation that we've inherited, that even though our ancestors thrived on it, we have the slightest stressor and we freak out for like, you know, 36 hours and we can't calm down. So in our current environment, it is not necessarily conducive to thriving, but it got us here to where we are today.
0: So interesting. And one of the things that one of my first questions when I went through my genetics test was, well, how do I know? Was this mom? Was this dad? Maybe one day. What do you think? Will we ever have that technology? Will we ever know which parent passed it on to us? Or
2: yeah, you can some of them you can tell. Um, because if, if a father has, you know, just a, you know, no genetic variations at all, and the mother has, you know, a, a couple and then you have a child who is heterozygous, well, then you do know that it came from your mother and the vice versa, you know? Um, now, if you are homozygous uh, and you have inherited a single trait from both of your parents um, or a single uh, variant, then and if your parents are both homozygous as well, then you don't really know who it came, well, you know it came from both of them, right? So, but there are situations where you don't really know. And it's a good question. I bet there is ways, um, possibly even now, to be able to determine what where you got that particular genetic variation. Um, especially if you look at, as you said earlier, it's more important to know the unique combination of genetic variations rather than the particular genetic variation. There's so much spotlight on MTHFR and I'm partly to blame on that, but that was my first genetic variation that I ever studied and I was blown away about the significance and I'm still blown away about the absolute um, disregard of its importance in, in women's health, especially. Um, And it it just pisses me off. Mm -hmm. So, you know,
1: our our mentor says that he thinks methylation is the most important process in the body for He's mentioned that a couple of times. Well, you—I mean, he's been opened
0: the book with that, basically, right?
1: (laughs) Methylation—it's so important, and
0: I would agree with you. And I've shared this story on the podcast before, but you know, for both of us, um, you know, we have small children, and my husband and I have um, been going to a fertility clinic, and they called me and told me to take very high doses of folic acid, and I said, Mm -hmm. "Well, I'm not going to do that." I will take full eight. I have the MTHFR. The nurse was clueless. And I said, can you please, you know, inform me, why are you wanting me to take such high doses of this? What's the reasoning behind this? And she said, well, your sister had a tubal miscarriage. And I said, yes, that's true. She's a half sister and she's about 20 years older than me. Does that change my risk here? She was telling me three to 5% increased risk, um, because of that. And then she said, well, I'm not really sure. I'll have to Google that. And she literally on the phone with me, the top fertility clinic in the Naperville area googled it on the phone with me, and I just was like, "I lose all trust now." You're telling me to take folic acid. You don't know what the MTHFR mutation is, and now you're googling <laughs> risk, you know, on the phone, and it's just so frustrating. It's so sad because we know that there are so many people that have this variant that don't even know it yet. Widely, you know, the doctors are telling women, especially for pregnancy, to be taking synthetic folic acid. And then looking further, you know, well, at the yeah. Way. Let's
2: let's uh, pause there, if we may, and, and and explain why they do give the high dose folic acid. You want to go in on that? Yeah. Sure. Into that. Yeah. So if you think about miscarriage, and if you think about pregnancy complications, and if you think about the increased RDA, you know, the recommended daily allowance of folic acid during pregnancy, the RDA for folic acid is 400 micrograms for an adult. Now, if you're a pregnant or breastfeeding woman or you're trying to become fertile to get pregnant, that recommendation increases to 800. Why do they increase 400 to 800? What's the reasoning behind that? You have already talked about it. To support methylation. They are using the wrong ingredient for the right reason, but the wrong compound. So if you look at folic acid, which is completely man-made in a lab back in the 80s, introduced into our foods in the the late 90s, and all because they wanted to increase the duration of shelf life of breads and other things on food that was otherwise spoiling uh, because they stripped out all the the, the brand and, and everything else, which contained natural folate. So they invented, um, they discovered that since they stripped out all the healthy things from grains, that yes, it increased the longevity of the, of the commercial products on the shelf, but there was all these people having miscarriages and infertility. And they're like, well, what the hell happened? It's like, oh, we stripped all the nutrients off the grains. So instead of saying, oh, we'll stop stripping the nutrients off the grains, they said, we will invent one uh to replace it so they invented folic acid and folic acid if you look at folic acid compared to what the body actually has for the number 1 primary form of folate so folic acid is a form of folate mm-hmm. so if you think about cars or let's say trucks there's a Chevy truck there's a Ford truck there's a Mitsubishi truck Toyota truck Tesla truck those are different types of trucks mm-hmm. folic acid is a type of folate Now, it is the the bottom-of-the-barrel type of folate that anyone should be taking. Your ancestors, 100 years ago, never, ever consumed folic acid. It did not exist. We are here on this planet not because of folic acid. We are here on this planet because of folate, which you get from leafy greens, which you get from animal meat, which you get from liver, which you get from organs. And um, so the recommendation to give 800 micrograms or high dose 4 milligrams actually for for you know preventing recurrent miscarriage is a good recommendation to support methylation but it's the wrong form of the nutrient so remember genes have jobs to do and so if a woman is having recurrent miscarriage the number one associated gene associated with recurrent miscarriage ladies what is it?
1: MTHFR. The mother exactly. <laughs> yep. It's the
2: motherfucker mm-hmm. gene, right? Mm-hmm. So, MTHFR's job is to convert a type of folate into your body's most active form of folate. And if you look at the name of what MTHFR stands for, methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase, who cares? Well, it's the primary gene associated with this pathway that you just talked about, methylation. Recurrent miscarriage is heavily associated with reduced ability to methylate. A, the term methylate has to do with the methylation process. If you cannot methylate well, then your risk of recurrent miscarriage goes up significantly. Your risk for infertility skyrockets. And, and this is something that is not talked about at all, if a woman has recurrent miscarriage and let's say she finds out then she takes the methylated uh form of folate called methyl folate she also can take folinic acid which is another great form of folate she can still have a a, a miscarriage well like she can have a, a miscarriage because of other genes like NOS3 or you know a, a platelet activating uh something something PA1 something or other PAI-1 I can't remember there's so many of them um but the man can have chromosomal abnormalities in his sperm because he could be taking folic acid. And folic acid actually calls what they, they call it pseudo mm, MTGFR um, because you can have a pseudo MTGFR problem in a human because they're taking too much folic acid. Mm-hmm. And they can actually, men, they've shown men can be infertile from it.
1: So it essentially will a lot of times block receptors, or it becomes unmetabolized and then accumulates. And yeah, yes,
2: yes, it's uh, It's horrible stuff. I mean, we could spend hours talking about just folic acid, but you know,
1: I think
0: it's important to also for anybody listening recognize that it's not just taking in supplemental form, right? So you might be sitting here saying, like, I don't take prenatals or I don't take folic acid. Where would I be getting this from? Anything that's enriched or fortified, most of your processed foods on the shelf, turn it over, turn it around, hashtag turn it around, read the label, you're going to see on there folic acid. Um, it's very hard to find things that don't have folic acid that are, at least in my opinion, and, that I mean, are processed. I, I yeah. find a lot of gluten-free things don't have it in there and, and so forth. But um, if you're just a, a normal person shopping in the grocery store, you're probably getting it in the majority of the things that you're buying unless you're shopping fresh fruits and vegetables, one ingredient, whole foods. Mm-hmm. So Because I think a lot of yeah. people don't realize that it's, it's ever prevalent.
2: It is. And it's being introduced in more and more countries, England and New Zealand, Australia, Ireland. um, And there's been a lot of battle to try to prevent it from getting into those foods. And one thing that I will share with people is, you know, don't freak out. Don't, don't say, oh, I'm going to go out to a restaurant and are they using folic acid in their, in their foods? Most likely. Yeah. Um, And do know that the, the half-life of folic acid i forget what it is but you will completely eliminate folic acid out of your system it will slowly metabolize into other types of folate and you will pee it out eventually and you know seven days there will not be any more folic acid in your body so that is a good thing your body can metabolize folic acid but it's super slow So if you're consuming over 200 and I think it's 80 micrograms of folic acid, you are exceeding, this is a a gene that nobody talks about, and this is actually the primary gene associated with folic acid transformation into another type of folate, it's dihydrofolate reductase, DHFR. And DHFR is the first gene to actually process folic acid into another type of folate that is actually recognized by your body, and that is called dihydrofolate. And then from there, you convert it into another form of folate and another form of folate. And chivar is the last one. So everybody says you can't take folic acid if you have an chivar genetic variation. That is wrong. Well, it's not wrong. It's just incomplete. Actually, no human on this planet can metabolize more than 280 micrograms of folic acid at a time. The research that they did in order to get folic acid into the mainstream food supply They did it on rats. The rat's DHFR enzyme is 700 times more active than a human's. Completely different. So, you know, the human DHFR enzyme is very, very slow compared to a rat's. And we did not study that um, before it got put into our food supply.
1: And we, uh, we actually just did a podcast yesterday on MTHFR specifically and methylation. Um, so I'm sure this will be very, hopefully more understandable for people after listening to that one. Let's jump to a couple of other genes as well. Uh, so I'm going to spit out some things that people probably associate or maybe don't associate with genes. Addictions, cravings, lack of focus. So hmm. I think addictions probably a lot of people associate just because we know addiction can very much so run in families. Um, But are there genetic susceptibilities to cravings and lack of focus?
2: Oh, for sure. Uh, I believe you're touching on dopamine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are known genetic variations in the dopamine pathway, which increase one's uh, Mm -hmm. susceptibility to addictive behavior of any type any type it can be gambling sex cocaine marijuana alcohol um, theft i mean i wouldn't say theft is an addiction but it um it would definitely give you a rise um gambling is is also it's interesting with gambling you know it's it's not the winning that they're really after it's the it's the thought that they might win actually what they really like it's the anticipation of potentially winning is the high because a lot of people say well why don't they stop gambling when they win the jackpot because that's not what they're there they're they're there to get the next hit mentally Mm -hmm. not to get the financial gain. Mm -hmm. and so when you think of it like that then it it actually is empowering to say wow okay as a as a gambler or as a drinker or a sex addict or a shopaholic i am genetically susceptible to this because i lack dopamine so how else can i get dopamine well instagram <laughs> <laughs> the social media <laughs> the social dilemma uh, documentary is actually phenomenal and i did you, have you ever heard about why what instagram is refers to no
1: i don't think
2: so it's an it's an instant gram mm.
0: it's it's so true i watched the the social Dilemma. It's a great um documentary and i think it's so true in terms of just the scrolling feature i think they even talked about yeah. just looking at you know the kids in china and things like that and how addicting it became so quickly mm-hmm. to people um I yeah it's, and it's how many seek
2: times you check seek it? <laughs> yeah seek 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 hit mm-hmm. seek, seek 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 hit mm-hmm. yep. and uh, you know, and they just keep doing it. And if I look at my kids who are the most uh, involved in social media, one of my boys is just nuts with it and his dopamine uh, genetics are telling the story. And so I'll share something about with some stuff about dopamine and addictions here. So COMT is a gene which helps your body. Its job is to process dopamine. And so if you have a slower COMT gene genetically, that could help you maintain higher levels of dopamine in your brain. If you have a COMT gene that is working faster, which you can inherit this, I call it a fast COMT gene, you are clearing dopamine out of your brain more quickly. Now, as you said earlier, it's the combination of genes and the combination of genetic variations that really um can tell a tale and so my one of my boys has a fast cmt gene he clears it out quickly he has a slow uh i forget what it is i should pull it out over here but there's a gene associated with the production of dopamine and his ability to produce uh, dopamine is lower now there's a receptor for dopamine and i believe it's drd2 that um can be sensitive very sensitive, which means if there's a little bit of dopamine in your brain and there's a little, it, it will bind to the receptor, you will get a good result and you will have a dopamine experience. There are some people who have a DRD2 gene that is not sensitive. It's kind of blunt. You can have a ton of dopamine in your brain, but if it's not binding to the receptor, you do not get a result. If you have a coffee pot and it is unplugged in your kitchen... You can have all the coffee beans in there. You could have done all the work, put the water, all that, and you could be there all day long until you plug it in. Dopamine has to be binding to the dopamine receptor in order to be activated. Otherwise, you've got nothing. And so a gene that is really heavily associated with, with addictions and, and uh, lack of focus is this DRD2 gene. And there are compounds which actually will bind to this particular uh, gene, which reduce its ability to function as well heavy metals organophosphates these things are um uh very problematic and so I actually designed a dopamine supplement specifically for my son first and I gave it to him and multiple uh previsions. I think it was like my eighth different formula finally uh I turned the light bulb on for him and another thing that you get with low dopamine is, is kind of a depressed mood. Mm-hmm. And so teenage boys, you will see them sleeping in longer. That's partly why they, they started uh, adjusting times in high school, because teenagers do need more sleep. However, if a teenager is in bed till noon and they go to bed at one, that's still too much, too much sleep. Mm-hmm. And there's lack of motivation there. And so one day I walked upstairs and I said, hey, man, take these. And he said, what's it for? And I said, just take them. I'll tell you later. And uh, his room was a mess. If you're yelling at your kid to clean up their room, there's no motivation. There's no drive. They don't care. And so a couple hours later, I I go upstairs and I, I see him at his desk studying. The room is spotless. The bed is made. I was like, oh, cool. And then hours later, his older brother comes home and said, dude, you eat like crap. All you do is you just eat sugar, 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 sugar. And you just eat so much crap. And he's like, will you lay off, man? I haven't touched sugar all day today. In fact, I haven't eaten, really eaten much. I think I had a protein smoothie and that's it. And I just looked at him and I smiled. He's like, what'd you give me? (laughs) (laughs) I said, you've been pretty driven today, haven't you? You've been pretty motivated. He goes, yeah, actually. And I don't have any cravings. And uh, I said, yeah, I gave you a dopamine supplement. He goes, like holy shit and so he just he just called me uh yesterday from college and uh there's a kid who took a focus supplement for acetylcholine that's a different topic i'm just gonna switch it real quick and he's like this kid just was always struggling with focus and he took your optimal focus supplement he took two no effect then he took two more uh later and he's like oh my god i'm dialed in i'm rock solid so it's pretty cool when you you see a problem in an individual, and you support the gene, you support the gene's ability to do its job, the symptoms go away. Mm -hmm. And if you know someone's genetics, so I looked at my son's genes before he went to college, I put dopamine in his sock drawer (laughs) (laughs) at school. And uh, he has great days when he takes it.
0: Yeah, it's awesome.
1: And I think, yeah. you know, would you agree that like you mentioned with addictions, sometimes there can even be addiction to extremes like oh for you sure. know, chronic dieting, extreme diets, exercise, workaholics, like it's it's not just what a lot of people I think of with bad quote unquote bad addictions. It's
2: anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Anything. Yeah. And it's- I think mean, too,
1: like on the you know,
0: what you were saying earlier in terms of like you can feel this like depressed mood and just low motivation. I think about those people who cannot slow down the type of people who sit and they're supposed to be relaxing. And all they do is just want to get up and do something else. Maybe I'm talking about myself. A little Mr. Bit Beast.
2: Mr. Beast, Mr. <laughs> Beast. Yeah. I would love to do Mr. Beast genetic tests. I would absolutely love to see that guy. We yeah. have, we have, That's how this is. <laughs> I bet you his dopamine is off the fricking charts. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. So,
0: and I, and I think, you know, kind of to Becca's point earlier, and, and I want to say too, thank you, because I think you're normalizing also for us, we have boys, so she has a, mm-hmm. a girl too, but normalizing that your kids aren't perfect and that you've struggled with these things, but you also have the tools to be able to, to help them. And that, yeah. you know, no parent is going to be perfect with keeping their kids off sugar because good Lord, it's really hard, especially when they're younger. Yeah. But, um, you know, just knowing that there is so much that's within our control and kind of, as we talked about and touched on before, this is information that is helpful to understand why you are the way that you are, but also equip you and empower you that there are things that you can do to feel better if you are struggling with, you know, anxiety or depression. And I wanted to bring up anxiety because I think this is often very overlooked. Um, and I wish that our healthcare system would look at genes before they just slap anti-anxiety medication. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a client yeah. this week. I said, she asked me, you know, what are your thoughts on anti-anxiety medication? You know, we're working through some gut protocols. And I said, well, first of all, let's reverse the conversation back to your genetics test. You are completely blocked in your folates. Um, you're also blocked in your one of our MTHFR and her transport. And I said, maybe what we've got going on right now isn't an issue That you're gonna need to address with pharmaceuticals, but rather we can continue to support with your B vitamins and folate. And I have her on some different blends from Seeking Health. And I said, let's increase those before we go down the path of pharmaceuticals, because also we have another test here, secondary, showing us that your B12 is extremely low. And it's not an anti anxiety medication deficiency, it's a vitamin deficiency and a genetic component that we're dealing with here. So, can you touch on that a little bit for those that are struggling with? the anxiety factor
2: Yeah and, and before I do you brought up a, a great point that no one is deficient in a medication I mean it's just not it's just not a thing and you're like whoa hold on your genes have a job to do if you think about what most medications are classified as antidepressants anti anxiety anti-biotics, anti hypertensives you know they're, they're all against how the body is supposed to function. The, they actually tell it to, you have a symptom, I'm going to shut that symptom up, but I'm not going to do anything to the mechanism of action of why you are experiencing that symptom in the first place. So you might have uh, reduced your anxiety by taking an anti-anxiety med, but their problem is still there. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, and to give this a, a different side of things, a lot of people will go in and they will, they'll, they'll go to the doctor and say, God, I have this horrible pain under my right side. And it's a, their gallbladder. Mm-hmm. There's so many gallbladders that are removed. Well, they remove the gallbladder. They do get in- instant relief. But the underlying reason as to why their gallbladder g- got removed in the first place is still there. They have sludgy, thick bile or they're not producing enough bile in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so people who get their gallbladder removed, they're like, oh, I feel so much better. But then they have diarrhea the rest of their life or they just can't, they just struggle in multiple ways. So in terms of anxiety, there you you touched on a, a few things. There are so many different genes associated with anxiety and there's so many nutrient deficiencies associated with anxiety that it's actually a very difficult one to pin down and say, this is why you have anxiety. You can get anxiety from too little of B12, as you mentioned, for various reasons. That B12, you need to help process and methylate a compound called homocysteine. If you have high levels of homocysteine, that can wreck a a myriad of things. It can wreck your glutathione levels. If you have low glutathione, you can have anxiety. homocysteine affects your ability to make neurotransmitters like dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine, epinephrine, and serotonin. And if you have low levels of any of those, then you can have anxiety. If you have high levels of a lot of those, you can have anxiety. So it gets confusing really fast. And I struggle with trying to pinpoint particular genetic variations to anxiety. I do have a number of them. But um, it's, it's not as targeted as, say, addictive disorders or lack of motivation. It's, it's so broad why someone can struggle with anxiety. It's actually a spectrum. And I, I look at all neurotransmission as a spectrum. In fact, uh, I talked with my publisher, and he really wanted me to write a, my next book on anxiety, depression, um, ADHD, and ADD. Um, ADD is now gone, which is stupid, but, um, so you really want to be to focus on that area. And I was like, you know, all of these conditions is just a spectrum of where you are in your ability to produce various neurotransmitters and activate these various neurotransmitters. And if you think of it that way, that is actually very handy because there can be moments in your life where you've actually throttled yourself to make a and release a bunch of neurotransmitters. Imagine if you had a cop behind you and they turn their lights on like, Oh God, you know, some people see that and they freak out the whole rest of their day. Other people see that and they're like, yeah, and they just pull over and, and a cop zooms past them and they're fine. And um, so there are multiple genes associated with that. And we can touch on a few if you like.
1: Yeah, I would love to. Mm -hmm. I I think that the anxiety, depression, mood disorders is, I mean, we've had, we've had so many conversations It's an epidemic and it's getting worse. And, you know, I know that there is a lot of lifestyle and dietary factors to it that then suppress even further our body's ability to do its job. But I'd be really curious to hear your side with the genetic component.
2: Yeah. And before I hit the genetic component, I will say that there's a massive environmental component. I mean, uh, I don't have girls. I have only three boys. Uh, only that's plenty <laughs> uh but from what i hear from my boys and from what i hear from parents who have girls filters on social media you know give them the they false uh impression of absolute beauty and no imperfections and then they show those pictures to the world and they get a bunch of likes and then they're scared to go out to the actual real world because they can't put on a filter. But they can't put on a mask and to this day a lot of kids i'll go pick up my boys from school um you know or back in the day and and a lot of people are not scared about a virus they're just scared about showing imperfection so they keep wearing this mask and so there's a lot of anxiety that is put on kids especially not because of genetics but because of the environment that they're in and I really wanna to touch that first because it is so, so significant. And the next one that is so super significant uh, and watch Social Dilemma if you haven't already, it is massively important. Um, and I hear girls are way worse on cell phones than boys, mm-hmm. um, you know, but that's just what I hear. I don't have personal experience with it. Um, and the next one is food. Uh, food is a, is a major, major thing. If you are starting your day with box cereal or, Carbohydrates or sugars or caffeine, 100% you're going to have anxiety. You have to start your day. I don't care how picky your kid is. You have to start them with protein. If you and yourself, if you start your day with carbohydrates or caffeine or sugar, you're done. You're on the insulin roller coaster all day long, and that will drive anxiety through the roof. So now, so start your day with protein for sure. And I'm talking 20 to 40 grams of protein. I'm not talking three to four. I'm talking 20 to 40. Um, and, uh, and chew the protein really well, so you actually absorb it. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, in terms of genes, you know, we talked about the slow COMT gene. So COMT, if you have high levels of dopamine or high levels of norepi or epi, then you're going to have higher susceptibility to anxiety because you just you're just on. So that fight or flight in your head is just on all the time. So you have to ask yourself, okay, which genes are associated with my reduced ability to clear um, this dopamine and and a slow COMT gene is associated with this. And it's actually very, very common. And a slow COMT can make a massive difference by itself, not even a combination. So if you were born with a slow COMT gene, I'm not even talking about lifestyle factors that can slow it down. I'm just saying if you were born with a slow COMT, that gene by itself can increase anxiety, especially in a woman. And as when she gets in her cycle and has high levels of estrogen. Well, if a woman has high levels of estrogen, why does that make a difference? Because a COMT gene's job is actually multiple its job is to process dopamine and its job is actually to help process a harmful type of estrogen and clear it out of a woman and so if she has high levels of estrogen and high levels of dopamine and a slow COMT gene she is going to no doubt have pms for sure and so a lot of people joke about pms there's all sorts of memes and jokes about it but it is no laughing matter that poor woman is struggling to try to keep her shit together, and she can't because she's got so much fire in her head that uh, you know she can just turn into a raving biatch. And uh, <laughs> I've helped so many women by you know remove their anxiety by regulating their cycle, by regulating their est- estrogen levels, by you know supporting with DIM or indole three carbonyl or uh losing weight because. Uh, obesity increases estrogen, the harmful estrogen, um, and guys, if guys are on testosterone therapies, they can have PMS. And, uh, because the testosterone converts into estrogen. And I experienced that because I was playing around with different types of testosterone replacement so I could educate others about it. I tried testosterone creams, the testosterone pellets, testosterone shots, and, um, pellets were the best creams were the worst. And you know my estrogen levels were skyrocketing, and I turned into a raving lunatic with headaches. I was hot. I was like, "Wow, I feel like a, <laughs> a menstruating woman right now." And uh, so I actually started taking DIM, and I was good. It's like, "Wow, okay." And I was super anxious uh, as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you talk about the slow comp tea, is this you know that you're identifying on a genetics test in terms of whether it's homozygous or heterozygous?
2: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: So you just Correct. Want to and
2: a, a slow CMT, you can be, you'll be homozygous. And now, what I will say with CMT is there's, there's a particular genetic variation of CMT that is the most common and most popular. Um, that's the V158M. And so when you're looking at genetic variation and you see a V, that stands for the base of valley. At 158, what's that number for? That's at the position, 158 on the gene itself. And the M, what's that? That's the methionine. So a position 158 in the COMT code, a valine switched to a methionine. And that methionine causes the COMT enzyme to have a different shape. So if if it has a different shape, it means it can't function as well um, to do its job. And uh, so it it acts more slowly. And um, now, however, there is research on COMT V158 and other COMT genetic variations, there is a combination, I believe, of four. It's called a haplotype. So when a particular gene has multiple genetic variations and the research has shown that if you have these three or four combinations of genetic variations in the same gene, that's called a haplotype, and it can, it is more significant than if you just have a COMT V158 homozygous genetic variation by itself. So that's a long way of saying haplotype genetic testing is far superior than looking at just single genetic variations by themselves. And my genetic test of Stratagene looks at the CMT combination of the CMT haplotype. And we report back on that and say if it's slower or faster or intermediate. Intermediate means it's kind of like the three bears, you know, it's, it, it, it's more flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah.
0: Okay. Very, very helpful. Yes. And I think so many people, you know, listening to this, hopefully you're already like, let me get the book. Yeah. Let me read. Because again, there's a lot of environmental factors, a lot of dietary factors, lifestyle factors, and there's plenty laid out in the book to help you get started. Um, and then you can do genetics testing. You know whether that's the us or with um, seeking health and Dr. Ben, but let's let's move on here and think about you know what you mentioned before in terms of the the males and fertility and um, you know kind of the impact that things can have on their body as well. I want to talk about libido and maybe even testosterone. Do you see that the just rapid declining rates of testosterone and massive increase in fertility also has something to do with genetics for the males?
2: I would say genetics is a very minor part of it. Okay. I would say the environmental is way more significant. The, the plastics that are everywhere these days, I mean, come on, fish are turning, they're, they're changing gender. Frogs are changing gender <laughs> in rivers. And this has been known for years. Uh, you know it was, it was like 2017 or 2015 frogs in, in the london river of thames or whatever it was were already being found to change from boys to girl frogs and uh so that is that's environmental
0: mm-hmm.
2: so there's a book called countdown and countdown talks about the rapid growth of of testosterone decline. And it's massive. So you have sperm banks. Guys go to a sperm bank. They donate their sperm. They get 10 bucks or whatever it is. They walk out and the sperm bank has sperm. Well, not so fast. Th- these sperm banks are losing tons of money because in, in I'm, I'm throwing some rough numbers here in the book countdown. She's, she's way more, uh, well, she has stats and, 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 She's very accurate with her, her numbers. I'm just going to throw some stuff out here. Have you read Countdown yet? The mm-hmm. book? Mm-hmm. It's a very easy read. Um, very quick. And I highly recommend it. So in a sperm bank in China, what do you think is the percentage of viable sperm that could be used to support uh, a, you know, a couple having uh, a child? What do you think out of, All the sperm that is collected. So you got 100% of the sperm sitting in a sperm bank in China. What do you think is the percentage of viable sperm that can be used out of all those donations?
1: 18%, 70%.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's around 18%. 1 (laughs) 8.
0: I I, I have not read the book.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's insane. Terrifying. Terrifying. And if you do the research on on what's going on, a lot of infertility is idiopathic in men. Idiopathic is a famous way of or uh, famous a a a medical way of saying we don't know what the hell is causing infertility. And I actually posted this on my Instagram months ago, showing the the common causes of male infertility. Idiopathic was was I think number three, and. Out of all the causes of male infertility, not one cause in this published paper was discussing nutrition, (laughs) not one. And I, there was torsion, there was, um, you know, some other types of things, which I don't even know about, but it was all medically related. None of it was, uh, nutritionally related. And, um, so that really pissed me off for one. And then there's a lot of research that shows um, low antioxidant level in men, CoQ10, vitamin E, glutathione. Um, these things are phenomenal for supporting uh, fertility. Low testosterone herbs um, are very supportive for uh, testosterone, uh, healthy testosterone levels. And so, you know, I, I formulated a, a male prenatal. Called optimal man to support male fertility so they can support their partner in pregnancy. Because it's not only up to the women, guys, and ladies, mm-hmm. it's not up to you to be taking the prenatal prior to conception, during conception, and breastfeeding. It is also up to the guy. And guys, you have three months of where you can radically transform the health of your sperm. It only takes 90 days to get a whole new set of fresh sperm. And the reviews, I, I find it very interesting. When I'm reading the reviews on Optimal Man at Seeing Health, I read them and it's, they say things like, my husband, blah, blah, blah. My boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. My my granddad, blah, blah. Guys, buy it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the ladies are always buying it for the guys. And it's it's like, you will feel better. You'll have more motivation. You'll have more libido. You'll have stronger, leaner body. You'll look good. Um, you'll, you'll sleep better. Um, all sorts of great things are associated with testosterone and it's not testosterone that is associated with anger and irritability That's the testosterone converting to estrogen. So if you're taking testosterone supportive supplements or herbs or medications, then you damn well better, better be checking your estrogen. And there are genetics associated with that heavily. Mm-hmm. CMT, the pathway, glucone Etc. Um, so yeah, that was a long answer.
0: No, I appreciate it. And I think, you know, there's people who are taking things and you brought up a good point is check your estrogen. If you are taking something, we're always talking about checking anything Mm -hmm. that you're doing. If you're taking any type of, you know, hormone support, thyroid support, you're getting off thyroid medication, you're going to check your levels. If you're changing dosing for things, um, Mm -hmm really, really important. So this has been fantastic. I feel like we could, we could talk all day. Um, what we want to be respectful of your time. One of the things that we like to kind of wrap up, um, most of our podcasts with, and this is kind of a, a surprise, but if there was one thing that you had to kind of shout from the rooftop to people as we come to a close here, what would
1: that be?
2: Uh, believe, uh, that you can actually get better. there's there's so much information out there the problem is a lot of it's incorrect biased (laughs) contradictory what have you but i want you to maintain that hope i want you to maintain that belief tony robbins is always talking about there's a there's a triangle that belief leads to action action leads to results results then feed into outcomes and those outcomes and then drive further drive your beliefs And so it, but it starts with the belief. If you believe that you are, you can't get better, you just, you know, you're going to have another recurrent miscarriage. Well, you're right. The outcome is you're going to have another recurrent miscarriage, which is going to then drive, you know, your thought process even lower and lower. And that's also why you say the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And that's also why the sick get sicker and the healthy get healthier. So I, I really want you to first start with the belief and it's so, so hard to have that belief when you are so stuck in depression. And I, I'm getting a little teary when I, when I say this, but um, when I saw my boy laying in bed that morning and I threw him the two capsules of the dopamine supplement and he goes, what's this for? And I said, well, we'll just see. I knew he was depressed. And it made me sad thinking about that. You know, great kid, straight A student, very good athlete, friends love him, great guy, he was still depressed. And he was depressed because the neurotransmitter levels in his brain were not supporting him. And it wasn't his fault, it's just he is just genetically designed to have lower dopamine. So I made an intervention by throwing him those two capsules, which then allowed his brain to make the dopamine that he so desperately needed and unknowingly needed because we had a conversation about it after and uh, i think it was like a uh, a week or so after i don't remember but i was like hey man um i noticed you laying in bed until 12 or one in the morning and or one in the afternoon and uh, you know that is associated with depression and so the weird thing about depression is is you don't know you're depressed it just it's there and he goes, yeah, you know, when you when you say it like that, I look back at how I'm feeling now and how I was feeling then, because I had no idea that that was depression. I had no clue, but after I took that, I realized and I saw the difference of what it made. I was like, oh my god, that is crazy. But it starts with belief, and it starts also before belief. It starts with an understanding. But if you believe you can get better. Then you will actually make an effort to target and and not target, but you will make a conservative effort to find the information that you need and just don't give up because podcasts like these could actually be the the life changing episode that you need to hear. So ladies, thank you for doing it.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic way to close because we always say to our clients, sometimes, you know, you don't know how bad you're feeling until you feel good or how good you can feel until you start feeling that way. And, you know, I think that's a big driving factor for a lot of clients in our practice to continue, you know, their health journey and their lifestyle because all of a sudden all of the, the symptoms start to clear up and then their head starts to clear up. And then they're saying my libido is better. My relationships are better. I have more patience with my kids and I'm not screaming and snapping at them at you know, all hours of the day. And, And a lot of moms, unfortunately right now just feel you know, at least when they first come in and and speak with us, like it's their norm. It's brain, you know, it's the mom brain fog or whatever they, they deem it, the mom brain. Um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, it's just, it's just normal. It's part of aging. We hear that a lot of times. I'm sure you hear that too. And, um, I love that you mentioned that, you know, there is a lot of hope and you, you do have to believe that it's possible because if you don't, it makes the journey 10 times harder and you can't just rely on supplements and diet alone. Mm-hmm. You got to take care of those mental emotional things too along the way. So thank you so much. We will link everything out uh, in the show notes for you all to check out um, the Dirty Jeans book. Highly, highly recommend that. Um, get a copy of that for you, your loved ones, whoever this holiday season, and then also get connected with Dr. Ben on various platforms. So thank you again, sir.
2: Thank you.